You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. We have got the drinks flowing like wine tonight. It's just, it's fantastic. Ruby is serving up the best stuff. We're going to be talking about Agent Carter, which I am so excited to be doing with uh, my friend Alice Baker. Alice, it's so great to have you back in the 602. I always enjoy coming to the 602. Have a nice glass of Pinot Noir uh, to talk about this rosy-cheeked, generally happy show that has a little bit of family friendliness that is missing, I think, uh, to a certain extent from television today. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. Well, before we get into anything else, before I even tell you about the network and the show and all that stuff, we have something to do. We had a review contest for the oh, Star right. Wars feed of the 602 Club. So we're uh, Alice is here. She can see that I have this Star Wars hat. It's he got does. all the names in it. Now, this was a special contest in that even if you worked for the network or you'd been on the show, it didn't matter. This is for anyone. So anybody can win this that had reviewed the 602 Club. So I am getting ready. I am just mixing up some names. Alice can tell. I'm not even looking yes. at the hat. I'm just nope, mixing up the names. the camera. That's right. And I'm pulling out a <laughs> name right now. And that name is... Yes, yes. Uh -oh. Tanada, 1945. I know. So, it's always funny calling out handles. You yeah. Know? <laughs> that's Well, this one is spelled like Canada, but with a T at the front. So Tanada, 1945 is the winner. All so right. I'm excited. Uh, they, they won some really good prizes. They won a Star Wars mug, a Ractagino mug, a Spock t-shirt, as well as... The Art of the Force Awakens from our fine friend of the show, Norman C. Lau. Which, uh, so this is a great prize pack. And so thank you, everybody, for uh, going over to the 602 Club special Star Wars feed and reviewing it there. We can always use more reviews, though. So you can find all of our shows on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. And, of course, you'll find that we're a featured provider there. So make sure to check us out. And while you're there... Hit any of the shows you listen to on Trek FM with a star rating and review. It really does help us grow the network, and especially here with the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Everything we're talking about, the 602 Club, and the special Star Wars feed, we need your help. So just give us those reviews and ratings. We really <laughs> appreciate it, and we like to reward our listeners for being loyal. So thank you so much. And, of course, you can also find us online at trek.fm. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, Alice has done it. She's gone to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. That's right. You've appeared on the show voicemail-wise, so that was fun. <laughs> and uh, we have our listeners-only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. Type Babel in the search field on Facebook, and we'll let you into that group. And you can talk with all the other listeners who have joined about everything that we're talking about on the network. Now, Alice. Yes. Tell me, what did you think of Agent Carter season one, because I don't think we got a chance mm. to talk about that before. So even before we dive here into season two, I was just kind of wondering what your general thoughts were on the first season. I really 
really, really, really enjoyed the first season for a lot of different reasons. One, I mentioned uh, a little bit cheekily uh, as we opened up, and then I, it really had sort of an old-fashioned pluckiness uh, without any sort of heavy violence, heavy sexualization, heavy anything. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed that about it. Um, that I also really golly en- G feeling. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, versus Gotham, which comes out yes, at seven p.m. here in Phoenix, anyway. And you know, like full on throat cutting, like full screen. You know, I'm like, whoa, not at seven o'clock at night, people. Anyway, uh, I think the costume and the production design is amazing. Um, I thought they were very clever in the way they um, tied in the whole post-war um, feminism uh, with what was going on in the show. Uh, Jarv, the relationships are a lot of fun. I mean, I just really couldn't find, uh, I, I can always nitpick, everyone can, but I really couldn't find that much that got in the way of just my, just sort of naive enjoyment, my very simple enjoyment of the series as I watched it. No, and uh, you know, I think that was one of the things that was great about the show. It, it, it again, it really does have that howdy doody kind of feel to it, and that there was nothing wrong with that, especially since this really comes out of Captain America, the first movie, the the first Avenger, which is very much like that as well. And so, following that lead is is really nice. And like you said, the actors here are just fantastic from Haley Atwell down. Everybody is is good in the show. They they do a great job with casting. The relationships are fun. And uh so this season was interesting. I, I remember when they first announced season 2 and it was we're we're off to Hollywood. And I thought to myself that's kind of strange to just kind of uproot the show from where you had built the roots of the show in New York and setting up this kind of post-war attitude, trying to figure things out. You've started fighting the Cold War a little bit and trying to figure out where the SSR places and all of that. And, well, now we're we're in L.A., so it's a whole new ball game. And I don't know. What did you think about that, Alex? I, I, I thought I kept trying to figure out why, you know, yeah. I, I kept I kept trying to figure out why. I mean, I was okay with the fact. I mean, um, Daniel Souza has gotten transferred to L.A. Uh, Tony Stark wants to go into movie making, whatever. Like, I kept trying to figure out from a story perspective, or even I don't do a lot well, of background dad, research. But yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why? Why? Why they chose to do it? Um, and I don't know that I ever. I don't know that I ever did figure it out (laughs) so i didn't know if there was some back behind the scenes reason why they decided to set it in la or if there was some other tie-in to one of the other marvel properties that they were trying to do i mean i just couldn't figure it out no i that is something that i i never figured out either obviously yeah howard stark is out there and and soza is out there and you know they they send carter out there kind of to get her out from under their nose and literally they know that she's going to stay there the whole time and you know buck their plans which right. you know, is what she does well it's it, it, that's what makes the show interesting and so but yeah it, it's it's a really interesting change because I felt like the first season had established 
a setting and a feel for the show. And when you move a show in the second season, the entire production is in a different place. All that feeling goes away. So you're almost having to relearn the show again. And I don't, I don't think it ever really finds its footing this season as, as to what it truly wants to be or even necessarily where the storyline really wants to go because I, I don't know. By moving the show to L.A., it set a precedent for it, I thought, that even as we were moving through the season, I'm never really comfortable. You know, I'm never settled in. And mm. then, too, story-wise, I, I never really felt settled in because I wasn't understanding all the motivations for especially the bad guys like so I I don't know it was weird well and and we jump from in in season one right a very grounded enemy right to in season Mm -hmm. two we have black matter which now moves us into this whole other sort of unknown uh arena which is also very unsettling and it's you know it's not quote unquote real uh so i think that that adds probably very much to to what you're saying is that you're just like where am i why am i here what is black matter who are these people (laughs) what's the secret organization like so much new stuff gets introduced that right i mean zero matter and then a um a, a council that apparently is something important but they never explain what it is or who it is or i mean it's just there's so much about marvel shows and 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 shield does this too it doesn't answer enough questions it raises a lot of them but it doesn't answer enough Mm. of them and then when it finally does like they literally don't answer the zero matter question till i think the, the second to the last episode Right. Where they tell you exactly what it is and what it's trying to do. That's not good enough. I need to understand the stakes way before that, you know, so that I can feel that sense of dread. Will they make it, you know? Right. Because I, I think, again, kind of moving it the, and, and lacking that realism, I don't know. Maybe I just expected something different from the story of Peggy Carter, but I kind of expected that you know i think it's a good time to talk about just kind of like the case file i really expected her storyline to fit in better with where they were going in season one you know uh this idea of the cold war and really connecting it to some kind of reality and how the ssr is going to fit into that post-war timeline and obviously too we know from captain america winter soldier that Peggy was instrumental in helping found S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's really where I've expected this story to go. And then this season has nothing to do with that. It's no, like, this season's a, a little bit like the X-Files. It, that is a great way to put it. And it's frustrating because that's not how we do TV anymore. Well, it's interesting to me, too, because I don't... Uh, I'm not... Like, I still haven't seen Winter, Winter Soldier. You know, and I don't Mm -hmm. watch S.H.I.E.L.D. So I'm looking at it just as its own self-contained thing and not really looking for all of the tie-ins that all of the um, large property superhero organizations are doing, both DC and Marvel. So Peggy Carter for me was contained. But it's so true that season one is so well grounded in this post-war 
situation. And so many of the storylines give Peggy Carter the opportunity to, you know, make statements like it doesn't matter what other people will say, I know my own worth. And like these very, for women anyway, these very nicely contained, almost, you know, feminist war cries kind of things, you know, and there's really none of that. In no, in fact, they're going to strip all that away from her this season, I feel like, because when you get to the second to the last episode and there is a musical montage that is all about what man she's going to choose at the end, you have destroyed the feminism of Petty Carter and made her just another wishy-washy woman who it's all about who she's going to end up with the end of the show. And that scene was the biggest waste of time and the dumbest thing I've seen on television in a long time. Uh, next to the X-Files where they did that show Babylon and I couldn't stand it. This I, I turned to my <laughs> wife while this was happening. I was like, this has nothing to do with anything important. It's a waste of time. Yeah. And it, it was a waste of time. It didn't mean anything. We already knew all that stuff was going on because Haley Atwell is good enough at playing this part that I already know what's going on inside her head. Right. I don't need you to do a musical montage that has nothing to do with the show. It's like it. Ugh. Yeah, the, the uh, I'm in a drug haze, so I'm gonna have my musical moment thing. Yeah, yeah it just doesn't. It. it th- I, I still love the relationship. So you know, her and and Jarvis uh, are wonderful together, and they continue to be wonderful together. I love that you meet Jarvis's wife at long last, and the very um, loving, understanding uh, relationship the two of them have is really nice. Um, but, but so much of it feels more forced. I hate it when shows, and I don't know how to describe it. Uh, so I, I might ramble and I'll apologize ahead of time for that, but shows that are grounded in reality, but obviously they're not. And they have their characters go through socially important, um, experiences to provide commentary on that mm-hmm. or on a on a more cheesy scale if you know like Xena invents the pike you know <laughs> invents modern medicine or if you watch the the Murdoch mysteries you know he invents the fax machine or whatever so you know the fact in and I don't know how this will come up, but you know the fact that she's dating a black man and everyone else is you know making those fifties comments, right? Because we're in the nineteen fifties here about how that's inappropriate and improper. But she's steadfast true about you know her belief that it's okay, and she just sees him as a person and all of that kind of stuff. There's there could have been a very natural way for that to happen, but it felt so obvious to me that that's what they were doing. Versus all the stuff about women in the post-war losing their jobs to men. That felt really natural and like Mm -hmm. nothing forced about it. But there were so many things about America in the 50s that we're going to call out now in this really obvious way that just didn't work for me. Well, and, and what was so unfortunate about her relationship with Jason is the fact that you knew she wasn't going to end up with the African-American at the end. You knew she was going to end up with Sousa. So it was kind of like, uh, you were a nice diversion, but sorry, my real sweetheart wants me. And it was just, I, it felt like a kind of an icky slap in the face. Like, don't even go there. If you're not going to have her end up with Jason, don't even go there. Yeah, or you know, if you're not going to have more color on the screen. 
Yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> I mean, and, and I, I get that they're they're trying to portray the fact that for women and for minorities, yeah. it's very yeah. tough to Truth. find a, an opportunity at that time period, specifically, especially after the war. But they're, like you said, yes, they're not doing it very well. It's It was so wonderfully subtle in the first season, and it came off so much better. Whereas here, it's kind of more like slap in the face, and then it's just not done very well either. So that by the time you get to the end, you're like, oh, come on. This is, this is just not how... Yeah, no, I agree with you. But, I, you know, again, I still watched the whole season and I still enjoyed it. I just definitely did not enjoy it as much as season mm-hmm. one. And, you know, a lot of shows have a second season slump because they, they are trying to figure it out. And, you know, with this show, right, they've been, are we going to get another season or are we not going to get another season? What's our fate? What's going on? Um you know, that maybe the writers are really struggling. I don't know. But I'll be, if they do get the season three, I, I really hope they pull it back, you know, and get back in that groove that they had for the, the first season. Because I'll, I'll watch it. Right. Well, and, and uh, so we have both talked on, on the 602 Club here about Arrow. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we have complimented Arrow on throughout all of its seasons, even when it's been a little bit uneven, for the most part, that show puts it all on the table each season. You know, it's it's trying to up its game. It's trying to do something different. And it's always trying to raise the bar so that I feel like, you know, you get to the next season and it's, I can't imagine sitting in the writer's room after season two and being like, okay, how do we up this? How do we make it better? How do we make it different? Same thing with season four. Okay, how do we make it better? How do we make it different? Whereas, like, I I don't feel like there was that question so much in this season because this one feels, it feels kind of like a superfluous story. Like why does, what's important about this that Peggy Carter needs to be involved in it when I know what Peggy Carter's future is going to be? Like, you know, her future is helping found S.H.I.E.L.D. Like how is that helping build towards that? I really want them to put, their best stuff on screen first so it's harder to write for the next season you see what i'm saying like i don't feel like they're doing that i feel like the first season was a good stepping stone but then this one just feels like a sidestep not a step forward does that make sense well it 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 makes sense but you clearly have in your mind what's supposed to be happening i don't have that in my mind Right. So I've been able to with Arrow, even though so I know those comic book characters a lot better. I know who he's supposed to end up with. Lord knows that didn't happen in the TV series. That's true right now. No, it has not happened. Thank God. (laughs) So in this, I don't have the stumbling block of knowing what Peggy Carter's uh, comic book life is, you know, and what's supposed to happen in those storylines. I don't have that standing in front of me. Um but that doesn't stop me from... Obviously, they knew what to do to make it different. They did make it different. They did make it different, <laughs> whether or not it's... Well, I guess I guess the question was, is, okay, you, you, you don't know her storyline, so do you feel like that, that you've really progressed? The show has kind of moved forward 
for for me i don't think what it feels like to me is that it's that it it's not the high stakes game that a show like arrow is and i don't i don't watch flash either which i understand is much a little bit more lighthearted <laughs> than 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 arrow uh, but still uh, has a lot going on you know it feels like the tenor of the show is much more um we are going to make a almost a procedural out of the this story you know and each each season is going to be an arc around one villain and you know we'll we'll learn a little bit about what life was like in the americas in the 50s and a little bit more about these relationships each season but it's not going to be the same kind of high stakes game that some of these other shows like shield or arrow are yeah well uh, shield's a whole other story but um because i i that show also has many of the same problems that this one does which is it never feels like it's it, it's just not moving forward fast enough and mm. i think i think that's for me the frustration and what i've learned and maybe I've just been spoiled by DC TV, especially with the Berlanti verse, whether it's, you know, Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. All of those shows have a formula of we don't waste a lot of time. You know, we move the story forward pretty quickly. And things happen in the mid season that you would think in a normal season would happen in the finale. And I think that's what I just am looking for is that comic book feel like that every episode really feels big and bold and brassy and like getting you in the face. And you can still do that and have a lot of fun because Flash does that and Supergirl does that, uh, you know, so you can have this kind of Agent Carter feel, you know, where things are a little bit more howdy doody. But at the same time, really be moving the story forward a lot quicker. And I just feel like the writers for Marvel on television haven't figured out that you need to spend better quality time progressing the story and the characters in a way that feels urgent. Like this season didn't feel any kind of urgency. Did you feel like season one did have that urgency? Because I don't think, I don't feel like it was as perhaps paced as this one was. But I don't think that season one had that kind of same sense of urgency either. It had a little bit more urgency. Um, I do think, too, the storyline in here feels very familiar to season one. So that, you know, again, they're kind of these forces inside of the SSR that are working against Peggy and her group and it feels very reminiscent to everything that we got in season one so there's a lot of recurring storyline elements too so yes I think whereas season one can get away with it because it's the first time you've done it season two to me I think had mm. less urgency because we'd already seen a lot of these storylines play out mm. um, and I was like I think that's just why I was frustrated. Is like, you know, they they go to L.A. and I'm thinking it's going to feel different and you know be different, but really it just kind of felt like part two of season one instead of a whole new thing with really I I don't know if I'm explaining it well. I'm probably not, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I think I think what would help is just a sense of urgency. And making it feel like 
it can be fun, but still kind of on the edge of your seat the whole time, you know, like, um, like we, we both watch Arrow for the most part, most episodes of Arrow, you're kind of on the edge of your seat, you know, like, how are they going to get out of this one? And so I, I guess that's what I'm looking for more because I do like the feel of this and I love the relationships between the characters and I love the actors. I just want them to have better material to work with. I think that's what I'm asking for. Constructively want the writers to create stories that are worthy of, of Peggy Carter and Jarvis and Jack Thompson and Daniel Souza that are really giving them something to dig into instead of this kind of mediocre, oh, it's the villain of the week, bad, I mean, not really the villain of the week, but it's the bad person and we're going to get him and by golly, by the end, it's going to seem really easy when it all ends because I got to say, the finale here was kind of a letdown too. Like, just yeah, it, goes it was by not. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I agree with you there. The The finale is a little bit, uh, not even a little bit, it's, it's very um, heavy shoes or uh, I'm not sure how to say it, but it They're does sort the of- cement galoshes? Or something. I yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> you would want it to be a little bit more. Um, you know, he's got the thing wrapped around his waist. He can't quite get the switch, and you know, the whole thing is very. But you know, there's again, there's the whole the whole tenor of the show to me very much feels that way. You know, all of the hands are going to be really obvious. You're going to see everything coming from a mile away. I mean, I can certainly say about season one, though I definitely enjoyed it more, I still could see everything coming. Yep, that's the bad guy. That's the the Black Widow character who was in training right. at the kids' school. You know, like I can see it all coming. Um, it was just done better. Uh, this season, you're, I mean, again... It's just not as clever, and it's certainly not as subtle. Uh, but that is the tenor of the show. It's, you know. And I think that's the thing. And possibly, maybe we're asking for the impossible, but still do a show that feels like I should know what's going to happen, but you don't do it. You subvert my expectations. And that takes, I think, just really clever writing and maybe it's just, I, I don't know, maybe that's too clever for the writers that they have here right now on Agent Carter. Well, in all fairness, that uh, that, that also has a certain amount to do with, ha- with how many stories you consume in life. Because there aren't very many TV shows or movies that can surprise me. Like even with Arrow. That, that's true. Y- yeah. You know, I can still call it and see who the villains are and see where the relationships are going and... You know, see who Ollie's going to sleep with now and all of that kind of stuff. Pretty much it's obvious um, to, 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 to me, but that's because I consume a lot of this stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I do hope that they find some grounding because I did like the more grounded story better than this more sort of X-Files storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does. It, it does feel like the X-Files light. Like, uh, you know, you, well, and, and something you mentioned, like uh, I'm thinking of like a big surprise, say like in season three of, of, of Arrow where Ollie climbs the mountain, he faces off against Ra's al Ghul. I don't know if I was expecting him to get stabbed and thrown off a mountain. Like that's a shocker. I don't know how this is going to go. I know it's not going to go well, but I'm not expecting that, you know? 
And but you know he's not dead. No, you know he's not dead, but you still also don't know how he's going to survive either. Uh, and so it's like, there's things that I do know about it, but there's also those holy moments that where you're, you, you really are kind of getting up in your seat and like cheering because something awesome happens. Or in the same thing for anybody who watches Flash, that kind of stuff happens a lot. Like you, you're just, your mind is blown that they're doing that on TV and I'm not going to say it because I don't, I don't anything right. on there because I'm not going to spoil yeah, it for so, you. Yeah, so again, I would say that, uh, you know, not every, uh, you know, if uh, they blow their budget on S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> so they can't have every show have that kind of um, spectacularness all the time. And for me, this is more like Murder, She Wrote, right? Like every show on <laughs> With a better looking actress. At the, I <laughs> well, mean, yeah, Angela Lansbury was cast. beautiful back in the but, day, but you know, as she got older, it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of show. It's not CSI. It's not uh, how to get away with murder. It's murder, she wrote. <laughs> you know, so it's a lot simpler. Um, it's not as sexy. It's not as dangerous. You know, it's none of those things. Well, and I think I think uh, uh, to be very constructive, it was like when we're having an issue with something. Well, let, let's be constructive. How could they make this? How could you make it better? And I think what needed to happen, especially with Agent Carter specifically, I feel like you needed to have some sort of three to four year plan for it. Okay, this is what we do the first season. This is what we do the second, and this is how each season builds on the other, so that. You know, you do something big and bold, whatever you can do in season one that tells an incredible story. So people want to come back. You do the same thing, you know. Um, but having an idea of where the show is going, because I, I, that was the thing, too, being here in L.A., away from where we had set the tone and the tenor of the show. You know, you open up this case file. We're in L.A. And, yeah, it does kind of feel like this is just an extended version of and the X Files, like, uh, it, and and there doesn't seem to be a ton of connection to anything else revolving around Peggy Carter's life and like moving that character truly forward. Other than this season gets her into a relationship with Sosa at the end. I mean, that's the real big change, right? Although I would say you don't, you don't actually know if they don't have a further season plan because all of the setup work around the council and nefarious works you know within the the government and what's going to happen with the the uh organ you know the organization with the ssr i want to mm -hmm. say SSR. Yeah. The SSR. yeah um you know they might very well be setting all of that stuff up but again they just didn't do it in a way that was like super cohesive or, as you said, there's that balance between giving me, leaving enough mystery so that I'm wondering and wanting to try and fill in the blanks and work it out for myself, balanced with, but you gotta give me enough and do it in a believable way and with characters who I like and care about so that I'll stick around to find out the answers, right? It's a balance. Right. Well, and that's the thing, too. Again, just uh, we're gonna keep comparing it to, to Arrow because Allison and I know that really well. Think about how Arrow sets up each successive season. They place all the little pieces on the board. You don't necessarily know it throughout 
you know, that season you're watching it. But then when you get to season, like, say, two or three or four, you're watching, you're like, oh, I remember when they, you know, and I they did this. And this doesn't really seem to do that, and, and, and S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't either, where you really set up some things and you call them out just enough so that they pique your interest, but then you're able to, like, put them in the back as just conscious and keep going. You know, um, they have this council here. I have no idea who this council is, and they never explain who this council is in this season, and that's a real frustration because it's like, I don't know who they're connected to, if there are any other connections, uh, why they even matter, who cares? I mean, it's kind of this weird Tammany Hall in, you know, L.A. where these men run everything, uh, you know, but why they're doing it and who they're connected to and what it it's like you have to give me enough information so i care about what the bad Mm -hmm. person's plan is so i'm not just like well uh, so yeah and for me this is where again that all might still be in the work so you never know with season three suddenly now you are gonna see those chess pieces that they've placed throughout the first two seasons coming to play we don't know yet you know um, but you're right. There didn't seem to be any chess pieces that were put on the table in uh, season one that were played so much in season two, except for um, Dottie Underwood, mm-hmm. who comes back into play in season two and then mysteriously disappears again at the end of season two, leaving us with the assumption that she's going to come back again in season three with some wackadoo thing that's happened to her. But we'll right. see. And I, I do love that actress, by the way, who I, oh, it took me a fantastic. moment to recognize her from Legend of the Seeker. She was in Legend of the Seeker. I don't know if, if any listeners out there watched that show back in the 2010s, but uh, loved her in that as well. But, you know, so you've got this, you know, old white guys in power, And in season two, what do we have? We have a woman who's power hungry, who gets exposed to the zero matter, who then wants to, you know, she's very smart, smarter than any man around her, but has to be played down. She's a beautiful actress, but it's getting older and now can't get the part she wants. So she gets exposed to this zero matter, which then allows her to grab this power that she's these hungry for. I mean, all of those things are like super obvious, right? Like they're just super yeah. obvious. If they had figured out a way to think so much Captain those, Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> if they had figured out a way to do it with a little bit more finesse, I I think I would have liked this season as much as I liked season one. Right. Right. No, I completely agree with you. And and you mentioned the fact that we have these great characters that do come into the show. I mean, and lots of great actors. I mean, uh, you know, playing Dottie Underwood, Bridget Regan, uh, Wynn Everett as Whitney Frost is, is very likable. She's likeable, good. Very, and yeah, she's she's very good, good in that role. Um, Reggie Austin playing Jason Wilkes. Uh, <laughs> you had... You know, he was okay. He was okay. Uh, but then you had the great Kurtwood Smith playing Vernon Masters, and he's fantastic being evil. I mean, he's yeah. just so good. Well, and he's he's good at doing anything, really. Um, and then one of my favorite actresses, I don't know if you'd ever seen her before, but Leslie Boone was playing Rose uh, Roberts, who was the person uh, in charge of uh, sitting in front of the desk there at the yes, talent agency. Yes. And she was on one of my favorite shows of all time, Ed. As oh, Molly. I remember Ed. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So they brought in a lot of great people for the most part to play some really great roles, and then um, Lottie Verbeck playing Anna Jarvis. You know, and the way she plays off a bit against James is fantastic. I really yeah. liked her. 
Um, so, well, I mean, and she has this wonderful Irish accent, which is perfect. So, um, <laughs> you know, they they really do the a great thing in this season of setting themselves up for success with the actors that they have. I think what we're continuing to say is they're they're letting them down with the material that they are being given because I, Whitney Frost's character could have been fantastic, but I think she becomes caricature caricature and she just kind of becomes lame by the end. Like she's, she becomes just power hungry and all of these things. There's, they, they take all the depth she had at the beginning and steal it away from her to just make her a character of, well, then she's just like all the other men who just want power. It, there's really no difference. And there's, her end is not going to be all that fantastic. It's, it's just, I don't know. I guess it, it what, especially with that, I would have liked to have seen some more depth there. Well, and I think it's interesting to consider what if that character had been male? Same storyline played out, but it's a man playing that character instead of a woman. Whether the interpretation of that power grab and that you know desire for absolute power and control would have read the same way, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think it does, especially if we're truly going to set it in the 1950s. But, um, well, no. Then it just does seem like a character of a character because he is. I mean, he's like every other maniacal bad guy who wants power and will do anything to get it, you know. So, yes, by setting her up for it, it became a little bit more interesting. But they, I don't feel like they just really do anything with it by the end so that you feel mm. like it, it, it really legitimizes the choice to make it a woman, which is a great choice to make the villain a woman. So it's it's woman on woman, you know, like it's it's Agent Carter against Whitney Frost. That's a great thing. They don't make it mean more that this don't really live up to the promise that they've set out with the show. And and that was a frustration because she really was she was really good. And um, to find out that she was the one kind of the power behind her husband and the smart one. I mean, she's already kind of a genius when it comes to math and science. That Not even kind of. She is. It's clearly say that she's smarter than. Tony Snark, Tony Snark, listen to me, Tony Stark. <laughs> Howard Stark, yes. <laughs> yes, Howard Stark, I keep saying that wrong. Um, that she is, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, the, the choice between, you know, what sex you're going to pick for your characters, I think it's always an, an interesting one. I mean, you know, woman against woman is more interesting than woman against man or man against man. I mean, I think it really just depends on how you set up the characters and the subtext that's created by the the actors and the surrounding that that, that they're put in. Um, you know, and, and in terms of character, I mean, to again, to, to me, to a certain extent, these characters are very much they're very very much played to archetype. You know, that's that's kind of what they are, and and I think there's a a, a certain intent in that because again i think it's kind of the tenor of the show um you know peggy carter is for the most part infallible you know <laughs> she's she's pretty damn yeah, perfect and you know uh jarvis is pr pretty much the comic relief 
pretty straightforward in that vein, you know, and her, her conscience, you know, kind of her sidekick, whatever. I mean, I think the archetypes are, archetypes are played pretty strong here. So I don't know. I, I just really hope that they, they figure it out because Lord knows if the show, the show tanks, I'll really, I'll, I'll really miss the costumes. I can see. I can say that well, right now. <laughs> and that is that is something I mean they had horrible ratings this season. I don't necessarily know if it was the show itself or just people weren't tuning in um because they maybe didn't connect with the uh the first season. And and this is where I think that our criticisms I think really come to play here because a period show is tough to do on television. You know, um there are very few of them. You know, the the biggest one, Downton Abbey, just ended. And that was on PBS and a drama and so much easier to pull off, you know, for the, the type of people that you're going to get watching that show. It, plus it's on PBS, so you don't have to have great ratings. Uh, but this is on network television. And what I think needs needs to be infused, it, you know, if we're going to get more season, it, it it leaves us on a cliffhanger here. Jack Thompson's shot. And if you're going to give us more seasons, you need to shake up the formula and you need to do something big and bold. Because I, I think that's what people need to get really invested into the show and really put your characters through the ringer. You know, make Peggy wrong. You know, uh, this season they did actually take Jarvis and give him a great arc, I thought, you know, where his wife has been shot and he goes out for revenge. He becomes a completely different character. He is normally just comic relief, but he becomes somebody who is like, he's out to kill who who almost killed his wife. That was really interesting, you know. Um, I actually think Chad Michael Murray's Jack Thompson had a pretty interesting arc here where he's being seduced like the this this power hungry guy kurtwood smith uh vernon masters uh is his character name is trying to pull the strings of chad michael murky's character and his desire for more power and use him for his benefit with this council which we still never really completely answer any of those questions so that's totally frustrating to me but at least he has to make the choice finally. Am I going to be on Peggy's side or am I going to be on this other side? And he makes that choice in here. And I think that was great, you know. So we did challenge some of the characters, but I feel like what we really need is a challenge for a main character. Mm. Because, again, think about this. That's one of the things that kind of makes Arrow so good for the most part is that Oliver is comp always being challenged and having to face the consequences of his actions. And whether they're good or bad, lots of the times they're bad, especially in the early seasons. He's paying for a lot of those mistakes he makes throughout the rest of the seasons. But that makes for interesting character growth. Whereas, you know, when you've got Mary Poppins on the show and she's practically perfect in every way, doesn't really leave for a lot of great character development for our lead character. So, um, and that's funny because if you... I'd say, you know, what's really great about Captain America Winter Soldier is the fact that they really challenge Steve Rogers and who is he going to be in The Man Out of Time, you know? Um, and will he 
follow the path of this age, which is to become morally ambiguous, or will he stay who he is? You know, <laughs> will he become Arrow, or will he stay Agent Carter? <laughs> yeah, it kind of exactly. So I, you know, what I think, uh, if we do get more seasons, they really need to challenge themselves to tell a really fast-paced, interesting, and engaging story that is making us care about what's happening. Because I think, for me specifically, coming to the end of the season, I don't really care. I, I just, I unfortunately don't really care because there's not really much for me to care about. They're not really, I don't feel like they're really building anything yet, you know? Um and I think that was the frustration. I feel like if you had stayed in New York, you would have been building towards like something like, you know, but by changing the scenery, taking us away from like the main SSR and all of that, uh, we're not, I don't feel like we've truly really built towards something yet. And they could have made that more apparent during the season because there are some things that happen like you know vernon masters gets killed and um then uh you know jack thompson chooses to be on peggy's side and there's been some changes there but it's like well how is that actually going to affect i don't have enough of a uh, a stepping stone to go on like to kind of get a sense of where things are going and that's where i'm frustrated it's like i just need more i need more story i need more re revelations so i can kind of understand what's happening and why it's happening and all that stuff so i don't know what do you what do you think about if they do more seasons what would be uh your hope for where they'd go or what they do or i think that i don't mind it being mostly character driven uh versus story driven um, I do think that they they need to figure out how to uh, find that balance between keeping you guessing but giving you enough information to keeping you in invested because I, I do think they can improve there. I do think they need to continue to grow the characters and grow the relationships because I think that's, for me anyway, what I really like about the show. Um, I think they have to figure out who they who they're going to be as a show, mm, you know, to to find their audience. Because um, right now, I think they're sort of <laughs> grasping at straws, trying to figure out who's going to watch them, you know. And I don't know if it's the Shield people. And you know, a lot of times I feel like these big companies, where they know there's already a well-established fan base, kind of can be a little bit um, lazy or a some assumptive mm -hmm. is that even a word about what they have to do to get people to watch um so i i think they just need to figure out who they're going to be what are we going to be about and then just develop the stories around that with with really good storytelling and i don't need a lot of special effects i don't need a lot of action i don't need a lot of um fancy I just need good characters who I care about that are participating in a good story that has a fun, adventurous outcome. I I love that. I, I really do because I'm with you. I love these characters and I like the interaction and the relationships they have. 
So I want to continue to see that. You know, I, I really do. I, I want to see that can continue to grow and for them to be challenged and move forward. And I think I think this might be my advice. <laughs> if anybody from Agent Carter is listening, <laughs> which you're probably not, but my advice would be, I think what your show needs to be is a grounded story in creating from the SSR to S.H.I.E.L.D. How does that happen? How does Peggy Carter go from being just, you know, she's a war hero, but how does she go from being the person who people view as the secretary to the person that uh, will help found S.H.I.E.L.D.? Make that the storyline. So what's going to be funny to me, Matthew, is if that turns out to be what the storyline is. Hey, uh, then I, and they I hope had it so. Planned I just all don't, along. Yeah, I, I don't feel like that they've been doing a good job of building to that right now, or making me feel like they're building to that. Oh. Um, I, I felt like <laughs> the end of the first season made me feel like that was going to be where they were going to go, and that's why this felt like a sidestep. Now I understand that Peggy's position with certain people grew. You know, obviously Jack Thompson, but. Heck, we left him shot, so I don't even know if he's dead now. Um, of course he's not. Probably not, but uh, <laughs> Howard Stark will probably use some magic thingy to save him, you know, uh, <laughs> technology that he's created. Um, you have to find your laser focus for here you're going to be. And I, I think, again, I hate continuing to do this, but comparing it to the other really successful comic book TV shows they knew their focus. They knew immediately who they were. Obviously, it took Arrow a little bit of time, but I think they always kind of knew what they wanted to be. And for them, it was basically Batman Begins, but with Arrow on television. That was kind of the basic premise. So they knew where they were going to be going. Uh, Flash comes right out of the gate. They knew exactly what they were going to be. Uh, it was going to be a more lighthearted story about a man embracing being the hero and loving it, you know. So uh, know who your focus is, know what your focus is, and just put all of your energy into going towards that and make us feel like we have to watch each week and not that we just, oh, I'll catch up later. Um, make it appointment television for you, you know. Uh, and that's, that's a hard thing to do on any television show these days. I mean, just because of the world we live in. Yeah, I was going to say, the very, 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 very few things are appointment television for me. Almost everything I watch is, is DVR'd, or I, or I watch it on some other means. But I do not watch it the, when it first comes out. Almost Well, and I, I do want to make it clear that I really like the characters in this show. And um, I really like the relationships they have. So I want this show to be good. And I, w I would like to see it continue. And if it does, um, I'm, I'm hoping that they've figured out maybe some of the kinks that we've been talking about. Because I really do like it. And so I think maybe sometimes my frustration with it as well is that I really want to like this show because I like the ambiance of it. I like the fun of it. I like the characters. I love the old cars and the goofy inventions that you know Howard Stark makes that feel you know 50 sci-fi-ish which is it's all that stuff is great you know but um yeah just find your focus and really who you are as a show 
And hopefully they can do that if they get a season three. So um, if you were going to rate this season, what right. do you think you'd end up rating this season? Well, uh, we'll do it like this. Uh, since we talked about season one, uh, we'll go back and kind of rate what we thought season one was. And then so we can kind of compare. I would give season one four out of five red hats. That's a good one. What about season <laughs> two for you? Um, I would give it... Three out of five 40s-style pantsuits. Oh, very nice. She has some really nice pantsuits. Yes, she does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is, yeah, you're right. The costuming here for the guys and the girls is is really nice. Um, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think uh, season one for me is a three and a half out of five Peggy Carter blonde wigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this season is probably two and a half out of five. Betty Page wigs. Betty Page wigs. There you go. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, this season really slipped for me, and I was really disappointed in that because I had mm. r- a lot of high hopes going in because I enjoyed season one more than I thought I was going to. It was fun, and I really wanted them to to kind of grab the bull by the horns this season and and when they didn't do that I think my expectations and it could be my fault it could have been my expectations but I just I felt like season one gave me the hope that it was going to grow and it didn't really grow as much as I hoped and and that's where I was let down so um but let's hope that um they do get a season three and uh that we both get to talk about it again next year and we you know, we like it even more than we did season two. So that would be great. Uh, and I'm so glad that we get to talk about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love it. You know, even even when we're kind of being critical of things, you know, I think you can tell that Alice and I really do have kind of a passion for this show. We like it. We want it to be good. Uh, and we would like to see it continue. So anything we've said, we just... We just we want to we want to see the best show you can do because we're enjoying watching it for the most part but we could enjoy it more but we do enjoy the fact that Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson here our associate producers and through Patreon they make sure that this show comes to you each week along with every other show here on the network now we're a listener supported network on Track FM and so we definitely need your help to make sure all of the 20 different shows plus the special feeds we have can keep coming to you. It's it's a pretty expensive thing to make all this happen. So go to patreon.com/trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. That's p a t r e o n.com slash trek fm and we've got some great perks for you so check that all out and we'd love to have you like i said be part of our team now alice it's so much fun I'm, i love getting to have you on the show but what's kind of, kind of fun because the last t- couple of times you've been on it's just been you and me it has just been, been. <laughs> yeah which has been so much fun because we just get to talk about things and i love it but you are a part of a great network that is i it's a really great sister podcast i like to think of for for uh trek fm and it's been a blast getting to know so many of you from educating geeks so please let everybody know about your show and your network and where they can find you guys online absolutely so i'm I'm one of the executive producers uh for educating geeks Uh, we do uh, two primary podcasts one where we introduce one of our friends to uh, some part of geekdom that they've never experienced and we have a conversation about 
what it's like to experience for the first time versus those of us who've perhaps seen it 550 times, you know? <laughs> Uh, and then we do a second podcast, which is sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, where we create drinking game rules for whatever the topic of the week happens to be. Um, we have a, a lot of fun with that way. It's a great way to sort of extend the conversation in sort of a goofy, fun way. All of our podcasts can be found at our website, educatinggeeks.com. They're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and on SoundCloud. Uh, they come out pretty much every Friday, except when we're taking a break. Uh, we also have... One of our geek hosts who is uh, watching every episode of Star Trek for the very first time. She's a complete newbie, and it's just fascinating to me as somebody who's loved that series her entire life, what it's like to have somebody from today watch Star Trek for the first time, because her opinions sometimes really shock me, uh, and I find it really (laughs) interesting. So uh, that's all the track, and that comes out on Tuesdays. Um, But uh, social media-wise, you know, we're like most people. You can find us on Facebook primarily, Twitter also quite a bit, and then Instagram as well. So check us out. Where can they find you personally? Oh, me personally. uh, On the internets, uh, all you have to do is search A-L-C-B-K-R. And uh, if I'm on a network, that's how you're going to locate me. Awesome. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I do a few other shows here on the network. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we're talking about Deep Space Nine. And then I'm on Literary Treks with Dan, where we're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also get to interview the authors a lot of times, talk about their new work. So it's a lot of fun. And then I'm on a brand new podcast with my friend John Mills about Star Wars. And it is called Aggressive Negotiations. We pick a new, interesting, esoteric topic from Star Wars each week and talk about that. You can find us over at thenerdparty.com or on iTunes under Aggressive Negotiations. So I hope you'll check that out. And we really do appreciate you spending some time with us. And y'all come back now, you hear? The draw was slow, so now they know You can't do that to Maine Oh, lay that pistol down, babe Lay that pistol down Pistol packing, mama Lay that pistol down Oh, singing songs in a cabaret Was I having fun Till one night I didn't sing right Now I'm on the run Oh, lay that pistol down, babe Lay that pistol down Pistol packing, mama Lay that